The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Boxing's defending unified champion, Lennox Lewis, entered the ring with boxing's former undisputed heavyweight champion, Mike Tyson, right here in Memphis at the Pyramid. Tickets were as high as $2,400 a seat. It was the largest pay-per-view event in history up to that point, and the fight was billed with this question, where will you be when history goes down? Where I was, was watching my first and last and only boxing match. Not because I liked boxing, I didn't then, I don't like boxing now, but I wanted to be there when history went down. Well, in Isaiah 36 and 37, our text this morning, we have what might be the greatest boxing match in the Old Testament, one of the ultimate fight nights in Scripture. In corner number one, it's King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, the undisputed heavyweight power of the ancient world, and with him, a whole entourage of gods that he claims have supported him in his conquests. In corner number two, Little King Hezekiah, the king of a tiny little kingdom called Judah, and with them, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, who claims to be the Lord of heaven and earth and who has made big promises to King Hezekiah and this little nation. The story of this fight in Isaiah 36 and 37 goes through several rounds, and at every turn, the question that's relentlessly posed to Hezekiah is simply this, who will you trust? Whose side are you on? Will you trust the Lord and step into the ring? Or will you listen to the taunts of your enemy and throw in the towel? This morning, I want to walk us through the four rounds of this fight and ask, what does this story tell us and how might it help us answer the same question today that was facing King Hezekiah then? Who will we trust? Whose side are we on? But before we dive in, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords, and we ask that you would be with us, each of us, wherever we are. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. When the bell rings and round one starts, it starts this way. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Behind that simple expression, the king of Assyria took them, lies the devastating reality of one of the world's worst, most powerful nations, utterly destroying all the kingdom of Judah except for the capital of Jerusalem. Even today, archaeologists and historians dig up stories of how the kings of Assyria tortured and murdered all those who stood against them. And now the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom over which King Hezekiah is the king, the kingdom which has had such big promises from God, has been destroyed and defeated by this power, all except the capital of Jerusalem. And so now King Sennacherib sends a messenger to that capital of Jerusalem to try to get Hezekiah and his people to throw in the towel. And the Rabshakeh, the messenger, said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Now, at this point, it should be already clear to us that when this messenger from Assyria says, What are you trusting? 
He's not asking King Hezekiah about his private, personal, spiritual beliefs. He's not asking King Hezekiah about his religious preferences when he contemplates the afterlife. He's saying, where is your hope? Where is your trust? Who are you counting on in this life and death encounter? Or as we might say today, to whom are you pledging your allegiance? Because this messenger from Assyria goes on to say, King Hezekiah, from where I'm standing, you've run out of options. Your political allies have failed you. You've angered your own God. And even if you had the kind of military weapons you'd need to fight me, you don't have the numbers to use those weapons. So whatever it is you're trusting in, King Hezekiah, this messenger from Assyria says, it's clearly let you down. Time to throw in the towel. And at this point, some of the leaders in Jerusalem who are hearing this messenger shout these taunts in the hearing of the entire city, say, hey man, can we go make this a private negotiation? Can we go have a little one-on-one conversation? And this messenger from Assyria will have none of it. He turns up the volume. He says, I'm here to speak to the entire community because if you keep trusting in whatever it is that you're trusting to protect you from me, let me tell you what's gonna happen. The king of Assyria is gonna come and lay siege to this place and you're gonna be holed up in that kingdom, starving to death until, and this is what the scripture says, you're eating your own filth and drinking your own urine. And then at the close of this first round, as the fighters head back to their respective corners, the messenger offers the greatest challenge of all. We're gonna eat your lunch if you resist, he says. But if you give in, if you pledge allegiance to us, if you come out and make peace with Assyria, if you throw in the towel and submit, then the king of Assyria will make peace with you and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Now, everybody listening in the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem knew that it was the Lord who had promised them a land of bread and vineyards, a land of prosperity. You see, Assyria had done their research. They knew what Yahweh had promised his people. And here they're saying, look around you. Your God has failed to make good on his promises and is powerless to make good on them. But I, the king of Assyria, if you will just trust me, I will deliver where your God has failed. But, this messenger says in closing, if you think your God can protect you, well, has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hands? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hands? So says the messenger of Assyria. And so when the bell rings at the end of round one and each player heads back to their corners, it looks like Assyria clearly has the upper hand. Now, between these two rounds, the Jewish leaders are back in their corner and they take their message to King Hezekiah and Hezekiah hears what the messenger has said and he responds by tearing his clothes, covering himself in sackcloth and going to God's house. 
Now, this sackcloth and the, and the clothes being torn are signs of mourning and grief in the face of death. Hezekiah knows that Sennacherib and the Assyrians have devastated his kingdom. He knows that they've inflicted lasting damage. No reason in pretending that these guys don't carry the biggest guns and carry the darkest of threats. But these torn robes and sackcloth aren't just about mourning. They're also about repentance. See, Hezekiah has heard from the prophet of Isaiah over and over again that because the kingdom of Judah had not trusted God, God would use this very Assyrian army to punish and discipline them. Now you can imagine that was a pretty unpopular message. And yet Hezekiah is starting to wonder if there might not be something in it. And in this moment, Hezekiah has to decide To whom, in whom do I trust? To whom will I pledge my allegiance? When the bell rings, am I willing to trust Yahweh and get back into the ring? Or is it time to throw in the towel? Well, when the bell rings at the beginning of round two, Hezekiah decides to stay in the fight. So he goes to Isaiah and he asks him to pray to Yahweh the Lord and pray that God would perhaps enter the ring and fight with his people and rebuke the taunts of their enemies. And the prophet Isaiah doesn't even hesitate. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in the king of Assyria so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. And so against all the odds, after making all these taunts, when the messenger of Assyria goes back to report to the great king, he finds that that great king has indeed retreated from Judah to fight a war elsewhere. And Hezekiah and the people in Jerusalem get a much-needed reprieve. And round two clearly goes to the Lord and his people who stood faithful. But if that victory gives Hezekiah and Jerusalem a bit of a breather, at the beginning of round three, it makes clear that this bout is far from over. Because the king of Assyria comes back into the ring, and this time the gloves are off. He's not messing around. The king of Assyria writes Hezekiah a letter And in that letter, he gets right to the point. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into my hand, the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the king of Assyria has done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of any of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, the people of Eden who were in Telassar, where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Evah? Look around you, Hezekiah, Sennacherib jeers. Every nation on earth has its own gods. And all my enemies thought that theirs could defend them against me. And I crushed their gods to the dust and I tossed them into the trash can of history and I murdered the kings that depended on those gods and wrote their names out of the records. And now your move, Hezekiah, 
if you think your God will fare any better. Once again, this fight here in round three has forced Hezekiah to answer the question, is it now time to throw in the towel? Can I still trust this God, the God of this little tiny community that I'm the king over, that's on fire after the onslaught of the world's greatest superpower? Can I really trust that God to get in the ring and fight with us and for us? And this moment right here turns out to be the turning of the tide. Because instead of surrendering, Hezekiah heads back to the house of God. And this time he doesn't bother with talking to Isaiah as the prophetic intermediary. He goes straight to the throne of Yahweh himself. And there in prayer and in praise, Hezekiah pledges his allegiance to Yahweh alone. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You made heaven and earth. And now incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock you, the living God. In this prayer pledge of allegiance, Hezekiah worships Yahweh as the creator and the emperor of all the earth. And he invites Yahweh to get in the ring and defend himself against the jeers and mockery that Sennacherib has lobbed against him, the living God. As he continues to pledge this allegiance in prayer and praise, Hezekiah acknowledges that Sennacherib is right about one thing. The gods of the nations were worthless. They were powerless to defend the nations that worshiped them from Assyria's great might. And so Hezekiah prays, Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands. They have cast their gods into the fire. For Hezekiah testifies in prayer and praise, they were no gods at all, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. But now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord, that you alone are not like the powerless idols of the nations, but you rule over all. And then having pledged his allegiance to Yahweh in prayer and in praise, Hezekiah goes out and honors that pledge by refusing to surrender to King Sennacherib. And so as we enter the final round round four of this fight, we should be wondering, will the Lord show up? Will God honor King Hezekiah's pledge? Will he honor King Hezekiah's trust? Is he willing and is he able to deliver? And again, Isaiah the prophet does not hesitate. Yahweh has heard Hezekiah's prayer and because Hezekiah, because, because Hezekiah has pledged his trust and allegiance to Yahweh in prayer, God will arise and utterly destroy Judah and Jerusalem's enemies. Indeed, as God enters the ring, honoring the request 
of his faithful king's prayer, he now has some taunts of his own for the king of Sennacherib. Oh, King Sennacherib, the Lord says, you're proud of the way that you've defeated these no gods and the pagan nations that depended on them. Well, I've got news for you, Assyria, the Lord says. I gave them into your hands. I was using you. And now because you have come up against me and your pride and your arrogance, you will discover who it is that holds all power of all nations in his hand because I, for my glory and the good of my people, am about to defend them against you. And yet unlike the messenger of Assyria, who has nothing but words, And the king of Syria, who sends a letter, when Yahweh speaks, he also makes good on his promises. He doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. He enters the ring and delivers the knockout punch. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 soldiers in the camp of the Assyrians. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. And if that wasn't enough, After Yahweh sends this king of Assyria packing back home with his tail between his legs, Yahweh shows him up, humiliating that king and his false god here at the end by telling us this, that when King Sennacherib went back to Assyria, while he was worshiping his false god, there his own sons murdered him. And Yahweh is saying, your God can't even protect you from your own sons while you worship him. And that's the end of this fight. That's the end of this match with the idolatrous, arrogant taunts of the false gods and the false political powers that worship them answered by the mighty saving deliverance of Yahweh God. Brothers and sisters, this morning, this story should sound familiar to us because we too find ourselves in the ring. Like King Hezekiah, we look to the other side of the ring and we see in the corner over there all the false gods, the gods of greed, the gods of disordered sexual desire, the gods of lust for power and the oppressive Uh, political powers and the deformed cultures and the distorted economic systems that they partner with. And we find ourselves in the other corner being challenged like Hezekiah was to pledge our allegiance to God, to pledge our allegiance, not to those false gods that look so strong, but to pledge our trust and allegiance to King Jesus the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator and the emperor of all the earth. And I want to suggest to you this morning that King Jesus gives this story to us to shape us, to shape our hearts, to give that same pledge today, to pledge our allegiance to God. And we can see this in at least three ways. First, this story teaches us to unmask the temptations and the threats of our idols. Listening to Assyria's propaganda, listening to their half-truths, their threats, their false promises should teach us to identify the way that our false gods also come with propaganda and half-truths and false promises and threats. 
Now, all of our idols come with this kind of propaganda. But this morning, I want to focus on one particular idol, the idol of idolatrous politics. And I want to do that because in the story that we have this morning, that's how the false gods come, in the guise of an idolatrous political power. But also, I want to talk about idolatrous politics because, and I'm sure this will come as a surprise to some of you, we're in the middle of an election season. And I want to suggest to you that the temptations and the propaganda and the threats from our false idols have never been stronger. Now, I want to be really clear. I am not saying, I am not saying that politics doesn't matter, that Christians should stay out of the politics of our community. In fact, Scripture clearly calls every Christian to seek the good of the society that they live in. And the Bible also clearly shows, especially in places like the book of Daniel, that when God's people have the opportunity to seek the good of the society they live in by participating in politics, they can and must do so. So since we Christians have the opportunity to seek the good of our societies by participating in politics, we can and must do so. The problem is Christians can't seek the good of the society we live in Christianly in the political realm unless we learn to unmask and reject the temptation to political idolatry, the temptation to take politics and turn it into a false God to whom we give the trust and allegiance that Jesus alone deserves. And I want to suggest to you this morning that political voices from across the political spectrum and on all sides of the aisle are offering us temptations and threats in the form of propaganda that would make Sennacherib proud. Don't believe me? Don't think that all corners of our political spectrum seek to capture our trust and allegiance? Well, just listen for a moment. Listen to former President Barack Obama saying America is still the last best hope on earth. Or former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton call America the city on a hill, the indispensable nation. Listen to former President Bush take the gospel song. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And instead tell us there is power, power, wonder-working power in the goodness of the American people. Or listen, even this week, to one of our current president's own family members say that President Trump, quote, literally saved Christianity. What you're hearing in these voices, I suggest to you, from every corner of our political spectrum, are idolatrous threats and temptations, propaganda, voices idolatrously claiming for our nation promises and power that belong only to Jesus and to his church, idolatrously inviting us to put our allegiance and hope in this nation or that political movement that God has demanded we give to him alone, or idolatrously threatening disaster for God and his church if we don't place our trust in this or that political leader or political party. And when we give into this propaganda, when we take allegiance away from King Jesus and give it 
to our political idols, we always find out far too late that those idols demand ever greater sacrifices. And if you don't think you're wrestling with this, let me just invite you, brothers and sisters, in prayer this week, by yourself, in the presence of Almighty God, to examine your feelings, your hopes, your dreams, and fears around our current political season, around our current political parties, around our current political candidates, about your feelings and hopes and fears about the world that you will wake up in on November 4th. And ask yourself if you have put some of the hope and trust and confidence that only belongs to God and offered it to an idol. Because I know sometimes I have. And again, I want to be super clear. I am not saying there aren't real issues to worry about. I'm not saying that these political situations that we're in aren't serious. And I am not saying that at all times every political candidate or political party is equally bad or good. Christians can and should debate one another and are into rigorous discernment to try to debate and figure out how in the world we honor God by seeking the good of the society that we live in in the political realm. Brothers and sisters, I'm not saying we shouldn't have that conversation. What I'm saying is, if we show up to that conversation, having already pledged our allegiance and made sacrifices to our false political gods, we will lose before we get started. And this story gives us the powerful propaganda of Sennacherib to help us hear the powerful propaganda of the false gods of our own age. But second, this story doesn't just unmask these lies for us. The story invites us to pledge our allegiance to King Jesus alone through prayer and praise. The story doesn't just unmask the idols. The story shows us that the way to be faithful is to pledge our allegiance to the Lord in prayer and praise. Prayer and praise before the Almighty is how Hezekiah stays in the ring, faithful to his God. And that is true for us as well. Look at his model of prayer and praise. It is in prayer and praise that Hezekiah repents of where his people had already wrongly given trust to the false gods. And our worship should be a place where in our quiet times and in our worship services and around the dinner tables, in the presence of God, we are able to repent of the way that we've worshiped the false gods of idolatrous politics. It is in prayer and praise that Hezekiah acknowledges the damage that these false gods can do. And it's in our time with Jesus before and in his word. It's in our time together in corporate worship. It's in around our dinner tables worshiping God that we should be able to say, Lord, are you seeing the damage that these false gods are doing in your world? And maybe most essentially of all, it is in prayer and praise that Hezekiah learns to re-describe the universe in a way that directly counters the propaganda. It is in prayer and praise that Hezekiah learns to tell the story of the world as it really is, 
rather than to fall for the story about the world that the false gods are telling. And it's in your time with Jesus reading his word. It's here in the worshiping life of the saints that you and I should be learning to tell the truth about the universe under the reign of our great God. And this is why, brothers and sisters, although it's true and easy to say that Christians can be involved with either party, they can be Republicans or Democrats or something else, the deeper truth is if that you show up to worship and our worship and its redescription of the universe doesn't deeply unsettle and transform the way you participate in either party. Brothers and sisters, I'm not sure you're encountering the Lord of heaven and earth who counters the idolatrous stories that all sides of our political persuasion keep on trying to sell us. And in this prayer and praise, in this life of prayer and praise, Hezekiah is learning, and so must we, to train our hearts for allegiance to God and to his glory and to his kingdom, rather than to have our hearts captured by the false gods with their promises of security and their promise to help us build our kingdom. But third and finally... The story shows that after we've made that Pledge of Allegiance, like Hezekiah, we've got to go out and live it out in every area of life. We come into this place virtually. One day soon, I hope, we'll come together in this place physically. We pledge our allegiance to the God who is King of kings and Lord of lords, but then we've got to walk out and live it out and live out that allegiance. For Hezekiah, that meant standing toe-to-toe with the nation with the biggest nuclear arsenal and the most prosperous Wall Street and the best-looking gods and saying, I will not play nice with your idols. And for us... It will mean going out from this place and refusing to play nice with our would-be idols, refusing to make sacrifices to the false gods, even when we know that unless God delivers, those false gods can inflict real damage. And maybe that's why this is so hard. Because in prayer and praise, Hezekiah decides that the Lord really does have the power to save even against Assyria. And he decides that he can depend on the goodness and the power and the love of that great God. And maybe you are out there right now thinking, that's a tough bargain to make. I'm not sure that the God we're talking about here each and every Sunday morning, the God that I read about in the Bible, is really out there and able and competent and powerful and willing to save. Maybe you even uh, resonate with the comedian George Carlin who called religion the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims. Maybe at one time in your life, you could look back and say, I I thought God had intervened here. I I used to look back and say, at this time, God rescued me, but now I'm not So sure. Brothers and sisters, I can't offer you the kind of evidence that will give you kind of game, set, match ability to not have to make risky trust in our God. But I do want to suggest to you that our God has given us evidence, has given us reason to place our trust and allegiance in him. And some of the best evidence and the best reason that we have is right here in the existence of the Bible that we're reading, 
and the existence of the community of faith that continues to worship and trust the God of the Bible that they find there. Let me, let me unpack that. We have to remember, this is a story from real history. We know that Assyria really did try to take over Jerusalem. We know that Assyria destroyed the gods of the nations and wrote their kings out of the history books. And we know that if Assyria, with the biggest guns, had wiped Jerusalem off the map, we would not have this story because there would have been nobody who would have survived to tell it. Brothers and sisters, today, today, it's the names of the Assyrian kings who are almost forgotten in history. It's their Assyrian gods that have been thrown in the wastebasket. Where are the worshipers of the Assyrian gods? While instead, the God of Hezekiah, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is still worshiped today by more than 2 billion people. And how can we possibly explain that except to say that when the chips were down, when it really counted, God really did go toe-to-toe with the most powerful nation in the world and bring his people through the contest and preserve their lives. Hundreds of years later, Rome was the new superpower. And people were more and more worshiping their gods and giving their trust and allegiance to the Roman empires. And many Jewish men, who knew this story about Hezekiah, they didn't like that. And they said, maybe I'll be the Messiah. Maybe maybe I'll be the king, the, the freedom fighter, who will liberate my Jewish people from the shackles of this Roman oppressor. And you know what happened to each and every one of them? Rome, with her bigger guns, came in and squashed them. And they crucified all those would be messiahs. And on every single occasion, what their followers said was, well, the Romans won. Guess that wasn't our guy. And then a a young Jewish man named Jesus from Nazareth came claiming to be the Messiah. And like all the others, Rome came with their power and crushed him. And they crucified him on the cross. And yet this time, unlike all the others, a ragtag band of uneducated peasants started saying that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. And to say that this risen king had ascended to the right hand of God the Father and was the true Lord of history, the one ruling all things above all the nations. And Rome, with her gods and her powers, didn't like that. And they brought the full weight against it. And they killed Christians and they tortured Christians and they threw them to the lions. And the full weight of the empire was cast on the little weak church that claimed that they knew the real king of kings. And yet today, brothers and sisters, hardly anybody learns the names of those empires. Nobody worships those Roman gods. And yet here we are standing in continuity with that community of the faithful that says Jesus really did go toe-to-toe with the biggest powers of his day and bring his people through safe to the other side. Or think about 500 years ago when white Christianity made an unholy alliance with white supremacy ransacked Africa, took millions of slaves to this country and gave them a false version of Christianity with an edited false Bible. But then, against all odds, against the full might and power of white supremacist government and false religion, those slaves learned to read. They found in that book a Jesus who claimed to be king of kings, lord of lords, who could forgive them their sins and liberate them from the most powerful political institution that they knew. 
and against all the odds. Those slaves formed the black church, the very church that gave us freedom fighters like Ida B. Wells and Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. who read these stories about how God overcame Sennacherib and went toe-to-toe with the empire of their day and said, our God can prevail because he holds all power in his hands. And we know that if the arc of the history is long and it bends towards justice, it's because our God holds history and bends it so. Or think about even today. Think about even today in China. You know, in the early 20th century, there was intensive missionary activity so that by around 1950, it's hard to get good numbers, but around 700,000 Chinese brothers and sisters were in China. And then the Communist Party came to power and they put enormous pressure on that Christian church. They kicked out the missionaries. They persecuted those 700,000 Chinese Christians and they're still doing it today. Right now, as we speak, we have Chinese brothers and sisters living in China, suffering under persecution and the power of the political communities that are in charge of them. But today, 50 years later, there aren't 700,000 Chinese Christians. There are 100 million Chinese Christians, more than all the members of the Communist Party combined. Could there possibly be greater evidence that the God that we worship, the God that brought slaves out of Egypt, the God that brought Hezekiah through his conflict with Sennacherib, the God who overcame the powers of sin and death and the devil and every hostile political economy in raising Jesus from the dead still lives and still reigns and still equips his people to stand up in the face of whatever we face and say, our God is the emperor of all the earth. And we will give our allegiance and trust to him and him alone. Brothers, the miracle of the church is the evidence that God has given us that he has in the past and will continue to show up in power for his people. Brothers and sisters, if you are listening to this message and you have never pledged your allegiance and trust to this king we're talking about, Would you get down on your knees and pray today? Jesus, I want you to forgive my sins. I want to give you all of my allegiance. I want to give you all my trust. I want to cast my lot with you in a world filled with false gods and idolatrous propaganda. And if you've done that and you want to know what's next, or if you want to talk to somebody about whether to do that, would you email me, mrhodes at mcuts.org, or one of our other pastors, Richard at downtownchurch.com, or Michael Davis, Michael at downtownchurch.com, and we'll talk to you about what it looks like to pledge your allegiance to King Jesus and King Jesus alone. But brothers and sisters, if you're like me, and you remember a long time ago when you made that pledge, and you know that you haven't lived up to it, you know that you've divided up your allegiance. You know you've made sacrifices like I've made sacrifices to the false gods of our age and not least the false gods of idolatrous political power. Then would you hear those false gods for what they are? Nothing more than idols and their propaganda. Would you join Hezekiah and the great company of saints this morning in pledging your allegiance to Jesus alone and to the world that he's offering us? And then would you, by the power of the Spirit, go out this week and live a life of allegiance to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the crucified and risen Jesus, the emperor of all the earth. Let us go to him and worship him and pledge that trust and allegiance together right now.
Lord Jesus, you are the God in heaven, the creator of all things, the emperor of all the earth. Would you capture your people's hearts? Would you capture your people's hearts, O God? Would you heal our divided allegiance? And would you empower us by your spirit to be forgiven of our sins and equipped to live lives faithful to you and you alone? We ask these things in your matchless name, Jesus. Amen. Well, as we go to pledge that allegiance to King Jesus in worship, would you do that now by giving generously of tithes and offerings to our great King? And you can do that by texting Downtown Church to 73256. That's Downtown Church in all lowercase capitals, sorry, lowercase letters to 73256. And as you do that, let's go to the Lord and worship Him in song.